0: Take your Bibles and go to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32 for our text tonight. And I gotta read an announcement while you're finding that. It says, preacher, please announce tonight that we will start receiving cakes this Saturday for the cake auction as early as 10 o'clock a.m. in the gymnasium. And if you want your cake judged for first, second or third place contest, it must be in before 1130. Mrs. Crewer, did I get it right? All right. Hey, listen, Kathy Crewer is my sister in Christ. But it does remind me of Sunday school teachers teaching her class and she said, "Uh, uh, boys and girls, uh, the Bible says Children, obey your parents. It also says to honor thy mother and thy father. But can you think of a verse for brothers and sisters? Man, a little boy had no problem with that. jumped right up and he says, Thou shalt not kill. (laughs) I don't know if she's read that verse, so I thought I would read that announcement, okay. All right. She said sister in Christ counts on that case. Okay, so that's, that's it. All right. Okay, we're in uh, chapter 32 and verses 1 through 5 of Exodus here. As we uh, continue this message now, we're looking at Satan's continuing strategy to defeat believers. And I add to that a little bit, and the local church. He's been doing that down through the ages, and that's what this series is about, just to see how he stays with that strategy and he has so many victories uh, because sometimes the people of God walk on the wrong side of the road and it happens to so many. But in verses 1 through 5 it says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together. That's where the problem began. So, okay. They get together, then they start talking, and none of them don't know exactly what they're talking about. They're speculating. Speculation always leads to trouble, and that's what it does in this particular case. It leads from speculation to gossip to uh, accusation and on down the line. But nonetheless, uh, they gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. Now, don't miss that. Aaron fashioned it with a graving tool, Okay. Fashioned it with a graving tool. After he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be the gods, o, be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Don't forget, Aaron's the priest, he's the high priest. If there's anybody, that is left in charge when Moses goes up the mountain, it's him, and representing as a high priest of God, it was his idea to make a golden calf, a molten golden calf, and he were told plainly that he's the one that graved it out, he's the one that did it. And so they say, these are the gods which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 5 says, and when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Now, one thing that Aaron had a little bit of sense about, still made this completely wrong, still completely evil what he does But he says, to the Lord, which is Yahweh, Almighty God. He didn't want to use the actual name of the golden calf that Egypt called it by. So to make it sound good, he said, okay, this is under Yahweh. It's not under that God in Egypt. He thought that kind of got him away from it. Uh, He's completely wrong. It doesn't get him away from it. It's still the worship of the golden calf. But perhaps that's what he thinks. I'm not. I can't tell you what he thought because the Bible doesn't tell us what he thought. But if if I'm in his case, I hope I wouldn't do that. But if I did, uh, I certainly want, wouldn't want to worship the golden calf by the name of the god that it was noted uh, in that day. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Why? Because that's part of what they did when they worshipped the golden calf in Egypt. They could say as to Yahweh. They could try to put the Lord's name to it. But the Lord's not going to be happy about that at all, and we'll see why here in just a few minutes as we read further. But let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we go into your word tonight, I pray that be completely clear by thy Holy Spirit into each heart. Lord, go far beyond what I'm able to do in opening the understanding of each person here, enlightening each one of us, Lord, to the truth of thy word. I just pray, Father, again, if there's one who does not know that they died today, that heaven's their home, I pray that today would be the very day to come and receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior. If there's one who has wandered far from you, and we see right here in the scripture that many of these folks wandered far from the Lord. So, Father, I just pray that realize tonight The forgiveness of God is great and almighty, and he'll forgive if they'll come back in true repentance. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Okay, this morning we saw about the golden calf getting, they're worshiping the golden calf, and uh, they think that Moses is dead, that they think he's dead. He's been gone 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't carry food and water up there with him, so he's got to be dead they think. And so, uh, early in the morning, what do they do? Well, they've made that calf. Aaron made the calf. It's a molten calf. And then, he's made that altar to worship Almighty God. Yahweh, Almighty God, going to worship him for using this calf to deliver them. Now, the people say, well, the calf has a way of worship. Aaron is, a, is an example, is a very real example of when local churches, individual Christians, take the things of the world, put the name of Jesus to it, and then try to say, it's all right in my personal life, it's all right in the local church, as long as I need, as I use the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No, that doesn't change it. A rock concert is still a rock concert. And it is not born in heaven. It is not the idea of the Lord. The Lord has problems when we try to emulate the world, when we try to be relevant to the world. We're not trying to be relevant to the world. We don't want to be won by the world. We want to win the world to Jesus Christ who is a holy God, he's a righteous God, and he does not use poison to bring people to him. He brings the love of a shed blood on the cross for their sin, knowing that their sin can be paid for in full. That's the Savior that we have. He's the love that we needed for our heart. He's the Savior that we needed for our life. Oh, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. And so, uh, they worship using just the various sacrifices that they would use in their regular worship in worshiping God. As we told you this morning, there was the burnt offering that was an offering for sin that they would sacrifice a lamb unto the Lord and to say by this, Lord, we come to you. That lamb would be a picture of what Jesus Christ would do one day for them in shedding his blood. And his blood would continually take care of those things. In other words, he knew what I would do in my lifetime. He knew I'm a sinner. He, he knows that even before I'm born. So that shed blood on the cross was paying for every sin I would ever commit, even though I was not alive at that time. But he knows the end from the beginning, as we read in Acts, uh, that he knows the end from the beginning. He knew every sin I would do. Even after the day I received him as my Lord and Savior, I too will sin. But that blood is there to show that it was paid. When I received and when you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So they're using that for Uh, the burnt offering, and then they have the peace offering in which uh, they're saying, Lord, I I want to be restored to fellowship with you. I want your chastening hand off of me. I I want to be right with you. And so uh, they do that, but they're doing this into a false god. They're giving to this golden calf the place that was actually set aside for Jesus Christ, when he told Eve that day in the garden, the seed would be the seed of the woman, the Holy Ghost would come upon the woman, and that holy thing which would be born of her would be called the Son of God. Mary was not God, and Joseph, Mary's You might say her stepfather was not God. Jesus is God. The lambs were a picture showing what Jesus would do one day for us in dying on the cross for our sins, paying our penalty, making a payment for our sin while at the same time giving us the way of peace with God. Oh, yes, that's the Savior that we have. That's the God that we serve. And what a blasphemy. What a blasphemy to put a golden calf to represent the Lamb of God. What a blasphemy to say, He is our Deliverer. That's why you've heard me say often here in our church services, Central Baptist Church will not get you to heaven as only Jesus. Mary, the one that was chosen to bear the child Jesus, will not get you to heaven. Only Jesus. A church, a religion does not get you to heaven. Only Jesus Christ. Receiving him through repentance and faith, as your Lord and Savior. That's the only way any of us are going to heaven. Not because we deserved it. We don't. We receive it because we take God at His word, and we know He loves us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Even though our sin is repulsive, abominable, and blasphemous of His holy name. He would still die for us. What a Savior. What a Savior. Taking my sin upon Him. And taking the punishment that I deserve. To be forever separated from God in the lake of fire. He took it for me. But He also rose bodily from the grave. That's why I can be saved and know that I won't spend eternity in hell. I'll be delivered because the one who actually saved me rose bodily from the grave. And that's where my victory is. So they had these offerings. but Now let's just look here at uh, chapter 32 as we see. And it it lets us, uh, it just sets the things right here with God. Helps us to see how would God react to this? What are God's reactions? Well, we look at verse 7. Moses is up in the mountain. For those 40 days and 40 nights he's been fasting and communing with God. Getting the will of God, getting the direction of God, getting to know Him even more than he knows Him now. And by the way, as a Christian, you can grow in the knowledge of God Second Peter, even uh, chapter 3, verse 18 says, Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, meaning He is equal with God. For which, when that claim was made, they wanted to stone Him. But He is the Son of God. So verse 7, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down, from for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Well, doesn't make it right if you do it all in the name of Jesus, if you do it in God's name. They thought so. Says here, they've corrupted themselves by doing that. God called it corruption. When worship is turned to please the flesh and to emulate the world, sin can never bring glory to God. Never, never. Let us learn from one New Testament passage regarding that. And that's found in Galatians chapter uh, 5, verses 16 through 21. I want to share this with you because you see uh, some of the same biblical principles are involved. There he says in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, this I say then, and he's speaking to saved people. This is speaking to saved people, okay? This I say then, walk in the Spirit, And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Remember, that really one of the foundational uh, verses, passages for this series was, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. that is not of God, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, my friend, understand, no way can the desires of the flesh, the, the, the desires of the eye, the lust of the eyes, nor the pride that builds your pride up, the pride of life, can never glorify God and can never be right in God's service. God's will must always be in God's timing and it must always be in God's way. So walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you see that the flesh what it does to the spirit that is in you, that new nature which is in you when you give heed to the flesh, it takes you from that which is the image of God. From the image of which you were created. God who is a spirit, and you were created in the image of God. God is a spirit. And so instead of walking in the spirit, you begin walking in the flesh. Giving into the desires and the lust of the flesh, that is utterly abominable to God. For the flesh, verse 17 says, lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are the contrary, the one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. People say, I really want to serve the Lord. I don't want to mess up. But when we give place to the lust, it will always interfere with our walk with the Lord. The attitude of, well, just this one time will be all right, will be that, just that one time that will kill you. that'll remove a right testimony, that'll remove the good hand of the Lord upon you, and make you saved, but saved so as by fire. Verse 18, continuing there in Galatians 5, but if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, why does he say you're not under the law? I mean, this is New Testament now we're reading in. Why is he saying you're not under the law? Because the law shows us that we are sinners. The law shows us that we have sinned. When Jesus died for our sin, there was no longer a need for the sacrifices that they were making in that day because the real sacrifice was already made in Jesus Christ. But, you know, the New Testament also says, the law was holy and good. It's holy and good. When you're walking in the Spirit of God, it makes holiness a natural thing in your life. And as you stay in the Word of God and you meditate on the Word of God, holiness can become a natural thing in your life. When you're walking according to the Word of God. But the flesh is the opposite of a godly walk. So, verse 19 says, and identifies for us what's of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication. Fornication is a sexual sin of any kind. You name it, it might be watching pornography. Fornication uh, can be the sin of a lady who gives herself away freely to other men. The Bible in Ezekiel makes a difference between the harlot and that kind of a lady. She's worse than the harlot because the harlot at least is doing it for money. Now you think about that. It may be a man that molests little boys or little girls. Fornication covers any kind of a sexual sin. It's a general term for that. It comes from the Greek word pornea from which we get our word, pornography. And so, he says, adultery, fornication, uncleanness. That is anything that is not clean and acceptable in the sight of our God. Lasciviousness. That is, hey, we've got liberty to do this today. Now, years ago, yeah, I can understand, but not now. We're living in a different age. We have liberty. We have grace. And Jude 4 says, turning the grace of God. The grace of God is holy. Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Describing the filthy sin among those that call themselves believers in the last days. As a matter of fact, in that passage, he says, certain men crept in unawares. Meaning they pretended to be one of you. They acted like they were one of you. But when they got into the church, they started saying, they got to let up on those standards. Why oh, they stand against that? It's crazy. We, they don't understand. God has given us liberty, God has given us grace for this. They've just done the same thing as those children of Israel in, in our text of Exodus chapter 32. By this golden calf, by these, God delivered you out of Egypt. And they're doing the exact same sin. It's not a golden image, but it's the exact same principle behind the sin in doing that. Well, preacher, don't call it a sin. Well, quit doing it, it won't bother you. And so, verse 20 continues that list, idolatry, what you worship, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations. You know that word emulations? Guess what it means? To emulate. Now, I, I preached that one time in a college in some A young guy comes up to me and says, I went back last night and looked at that word emulation. And guess what Strong's Concordance says? I says, I'm not real sure, but I know what the Greek says. And it means to emulate because of the context in which it is is in at this point. Huh. I believe Strong. I said, I believe the Bible. And uh, that pretty well ended the conversation. He just hopped off. He wanted to tell the preacher was what it comes down to. He just wanted to tell the preacher he is so wrong. Why? Because he loved to sin. So I'm not mad at the boy. I just hope the boy got it right. And that's been years ago. Hopefully he did get it right. But emulations. To emulate something that is not the natural course. Notice also strife. Seditions. Heresy. All of those things are works of the flesh that should not be in a Christian life. He goes on in verse 21, Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. You say, well, hey, I'm not a drunkard, but guess what? Revelings, in that day, they had uh, people that would drink and party. Some call it social drinking. You think, well, it's all right as long as just social drink, and yet, a strong drink is raging, and whosoever's deceived thereby is not wise. God says you're not wise at all. If you're saying it's all right to social drink, He says you're an idiot. You're, you're just not wise at all. No wisdom. Now you think about that. That's not me saying. It, that's God saying it. Now your argument's not with me. Your argument's with God. I'm just giving you God's word. And that was the idea behind revelings. And guess what he adds to that? And such like. Anything that's similar to that. And such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you that in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit. The kingdom of God now the idea there shall not inherit the kingdom of God it's not that uh, well you're doing that so now you need to be resaved. you're no longer saved that is not it at all it doesn't tell us that but you see we find out also in the New Testament and I believe as well as in the old we won't go into those passages but in the New Testament we find out you count the loss Treasure, reward that was laid up, and you lose out and you're saved so as by fire. But reward that you could have had, which would have been bright, shining, glorious reward for all eternity, you've lost out on it by going that way. And you may think it's worth it now, but in eternity that never ends, although you're saved, you'll wish you had given him more. Totally ashamed, as 1 John 2, 28 says, ashamed at his appearing. Now, we go back to our text in verse 8. Keep it in mind, what I just read from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, you go back to verse 8, and you see these people have turned to the flesh. Verse 8 says, God's talking to Moses and they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and they have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, these be thy gods. Now, the Bible doesn't make a mistake. It wasn't just the God of Egypt that had that name there, that specific God. It said, these be thy gods, plural. Because there were many gods they worshipped in Egypt. All of them false gods. All of them, I believe, were of the devil, satanic, evil spirits, God. These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. What their hands, what Aaron's hand formed, are being given credit for everything that's happened in the wilderness that was good to them. The sea dividing. The lake, uh, the, the waters at Meribah being healed. Manna from heaven. All of that that God did is now been given credit to these other things. And so these problems that are going on and they keep on going with them. They've made God upset, you might say. Because verse 9 goes on to say, And the Lord said unto Moses, "I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. They've offended God by abandoning their call. Uh, What what was what was their call? What do you mean, the Israelites in the wilderness abandoned their call? What do you mean by that? Well." That answers also in Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, where he says, And Moses went up unto God. Now, this is before the chapter we're in now. This is back in chapter 19. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. This is a particular call of God for their ministry. God is telling Moses what it is. That's what a preacher does. He takes God's Word and shares it with the people. And so this is their work. This is their call. This is their ministry as God's people in the world. So verse 4 says, "Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself." God delivered through Moses. He's making that clear but Moses knows it and so to God be the glory great things he has done but don't forget that God has done whatever was done good for you God did it and where you would where would you be if he did not do it some can look at their lives and say boy I got saved when Who would know that I would have gotten saved then? Who would have known that I would have done this in my life? God did it. God did it. And you responded to God's will. You responded to Him. His Holy Spirit working in your heart. You responded, but if the Holy Spirit doesn't work in your heart, you can't respond. But you had the wisdom to respond to Him. See, that's the difference. So, verse 5 there again of chapter 19 says, Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed. Now, when he says indeed, deed means in doing something, doing what he says. If thou wilt obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. You see, all the earth is His. He's the sovereign God. The sovereign God has a right to do whatever He wants with that which is His, and all things are His. He's the Creator. That's why He's sovereign. So, God can take those great gifts from you at any time. And He says, You shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. And an holy nation. And these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now, Moses is being told to tell the children of Israel. When he comes off that mountain, he'll tell them what their call is a kingdom that will be all the more seen when Jesus Christ sets up His eternal reign on on earth. But they're called to something special. Now, I want to just insert Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, while we're looking at this. It states, and from Revelation chapter 1, chapter 1, Revelation. Okay, we, we look at that as prophecy. But look at what it says. It says in verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, can always be counted on. And the first begotten of the dead, the first to actually literally raise bodily from the dead and ascend up into heaven. And the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood think of that. His blood was to cleanse us from our sins. I mean, just think, somebody actually got killed and died shedding blood, a horrendous death. Not only what man could do was horrendous, but the Father poured out his wrath upon his human spirit when my sin was upon him. And he had, he did no sin and hath made us kings and priests to God and his Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, that's in heaven now. Don't be just saved so as by fire, but rather serve him, following his will, following his way, as is revealed in His Word, God wants you to finish well. He doesn't want you to be ashamed at His appearing. He loves you, but you will be if you don't follow His will. What a terrible thing to be saved, to go to heaven, and there's no reward saved so as by fire. As kings and priests, because you see, Israel Back there in Exodus, they were called to be a nation of priests. Well, what do priests do? Well, priests talk to God for people. And they talk to people for God. As a priest, you may be praying for someone right now that's on your mind. And you say, you know, they need to be saved. Oh, man, they've messed up so badly. They need to get right with God. And so, in your priestly part as a Christian, you are praying for them. But then you also go to speak to them. You pray to God for them, then you let God take you and use you to speak to them. They may not receive it. They didn't receive everything Jesus said to them. We find Even in Exodus, that the children of Israel didn't receive everything God said to them. Even though they saw the mountain shake and the voice thunder so loud it scared all of them. They still rebelled. And so that roaring lion who goes about seeking whom he may devour, he wants to devour the testimony of Christians. He wants to make you ineffective for Jesus Christ. He wants to destroy your church, making it worldly and filthy. And when people do get saved and they get caught up in that, they're saved, but so as by fire. And so in verse 7, he said, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall will because of him. Even so, Amen, which means, so be it. Amen. A lot of times when you hear preaching and you hear people say, Amen, they're saying, so be it. So be it. And he goes on to say, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is, To come, to come. Yes, he died a horrible death, but he rose again. He was, and he is, and he is to come. To come, the Almighty. He is not only all-powerful in authority, in his sovereignty over all heaven and earth and the universe, he is almighty in his hand, there is the great hand that holds the winds in, within its hand. He holds the universe in its place. He sets, according to Isaiah chapter 40, upon the circle of the earth. He observes all men as if they were grasshoppers, in that the, we think of the importance of man. It's the importance of God who overlooks and sees man. Yes, he commands the winds. Even the waves and the sea obey him. Psalms 33 says he spoke and the worlds were created. Merely speaking, he created. And we should want the good hand that has that might. He's almighty God. speaks of his might. His power speaks of his authority, but Almighty speaks of his might, his strength to do. We want the good hand of the Lord upon us as believers that can enable us to do the will that he's given us to do, to be a nation as believers, the same as Israel was to be a nation of believers who speak to God for people and to people for God. We take that message to the world. That was Israel's downfall. They would not take the message to the world. And yet some did convert people. Some people got converted. They didn't become Jews. They became saved. See, a Jew's nationality is still a Jew when it gets saved. I'm an American. I was born an American. I'm still an American. I got saved. But I'm a child of God. And so, to all of those who are saved. And so, that's what we became in Him. So, that's what priests do. They speak to God for people, and they speak to people for God. We're seeking to bring people to God. Let's not fail as Israel did in the call that we have to bring people to God. That was and is of utmost importance in serving God. We must, as His people, be holy, not worldly. We must be righteous, not fleshly. For as a holy people, we're to bring people to know God. And God is not fleshly, and He's not unholy at all. One could say then, the entire nation of Israel is called to be missionaries to the world. And Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature We have the same call that Israel had. We are to be missionaries to the world. We're having a missions conference. We're expecting missionaries to carry out the duty God has given them. Their call on that foreign field, wherever it may be. But let's realize We also have that call upon ourselves, wherever we are. You know, I, it's been, I think it's been a month or two ago, but I was preaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. When the hidden things of darkness will be made known. One of the things I tried to implore you to do, the people that you were in sin with, maybe it's somebody you drank with, Maybe it's somebody that you had an affair with. Maybe it was somebody you uh, went out and stole with. Maybe it's something that you did together that you know was sin and wrong, you'd never do it now. But if they're still living, tell them what Jesus Christ has done for you. Let them see that there's a change in your life. Contact them. And tell them of your Savior. And invite them to receive Christ if they have not yet. Well, Pastor, you don't know that. That's 30 years ago. Well, if they're still living, there's still a soul that needs to be saved. Now, I know people kind of get a, I don't know about that. Well, you will know. Because your call is not just to say only to the people that you want to witness to. Well, you don't understand. They know all about me. I was at fault as much as they were. Good. Now they know that you really messed up, just like they do, but God changed your life, and you're not that way anymore. Why not make sure that they get saved, and they're not in hell, because you wouldn't say anything to them? Stand up for Jesus. Let's not call ourselves soldiers of the cross, if we're not willing to stand for Him. And so, Let's be that nation of priests. Let's be those missionaries here at home. The knowledge of God needs to be shared with the people of the world. Praying for them to God and to the people, speak to them about their soul for God. That they may know God's saving power, that he will forgive them and save their soul. And receive him as their Lord and Savior. Now that was the call of Israel. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to say next time. But I see that uh, we've been here for a while. But I want you to know that in First Peter chapter 2. Verses 1 through 12. Guess what it says there. Same thing it says in uh, Exodus chapter 19. He says, Wherefore, lend aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. See, He wants you to grow in His grace and knowledge. Then he goes on to say in verse 3, It's so that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, for whom coming as unto a living stone, allowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious, ye also as Christians. Now that's addressed to us. If you're saying, this is addressed to you this day. This modern day, not the Old Testament era of Exodus, that they got their call to be a nation of priests. As lively stones build up a spiritual house, this is what Israel was called to be back in Exodus. He says, and holy priesthood. Okay, 1 Peter 2, 5, and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God in Jesus Christ. We're called to be a holy nation. Offering up those sacrifices of prayer, the sacrifice of those things. For verse 6 says, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scriptures." Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Elect, precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. And that's a promise. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And he said, when Peter called him the son of the living God. That Christ said upon that that rock, that rock that Jesus is the son of God, Jesus is the one who came to die for their sin, Jesus is the savior of the soul. Upon that rock he would build his local church, and that's the way we are to build on the local church. His will, his way, because we are saved. We are saved by that very rock, the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. Our sin, the Lamb of God, has paid for. As a priest of God, we are according to First Corinthians chapter three, verses nine through eleven, labors together with God. He says, he just didn't say labors together with other Christians. He said labors together with God, building on the foundation. Of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, I want to read verse seven of first Peter chapter two. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, He is a stone which the builders disallowed. The same is the head of the corner. Jesus Christ, the Messiah that your New Testament looked towards. He is the stone. It was a stumbling block for, belie- for Old Testament people. They wouldn't believe into that. But as them, we were called to be a nation of priests. You see, The Lord just told us that all those things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of the life, which drove Israel out there in the wilderness, that when Christians turn to the flesh, and they want their worship to make them really feel good and not go anywhere near their sin, is doing the same thing as Egypt. And you're saved so as by fire. Loss of reward. But saved so as by fire. How sad. What a wasted life after the Lord did all of that to save you. What a wasted life. Now, I will say it again. Those that say, well, as long as I'm saved, that's all I care about. That, that's... That's just one, that's one statement. As long as I'm saved, that's all I care about. Shows the love of God is not in your heart. You lack the love of God in your heart. That's all you care about. As long as I'm saved, that's all I care about. You lack the love of God in your heart. You're saved so as by fire. But, I'd still rather be you than to be one who dies without Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. My friend. If I really believe that Jesus died for my sins on the cross and rose up from the dead, and he's the only way to salvation, as the Bible says, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. That's just Jesus alone is your salvation. And you don't come to him, you say, I'm going to do the best I can. Get my good, weighed against my bad. Listen, if that's what you're depending on, you're going to go straight to hell wide open. And my friend, he wants to save you. But you've got to come to him and say, yes, I am a sinner. I do deserve to go to hell. But I know Jesus loved me enough to die for me and pay my penalty. And now I want him to be my Lord and Savior. He likens the relationship that you would have with him to marriage. A commitment of life. Our marriages on earth are a commitment till death do us part. But the commitment to Jesus Christ is eternal life. There's no parting. If you're not sure you're saved tonight, receive him. Let's bow our heads, please.